Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Witham, and welcome to Season 3 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread, and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast. Welcome to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast and welcome to a new season. We are excited about what's ahead in season three of these conversations among unity-minded believers. So we've got another great guest today joining with us. Our motto is, unity starts with a cup of coffee. Just get to know some other believers in your community, invite them for a cup of coffee, and maybe even start a gathering with them. I'm I'm back with my co-host, Tina Bruner, and she was unable to be with us on the last podcast, and last two actually, because she was in Poland and doing some work in Ukraine. Tina, welcome back. How's everything with you? Everything is really good. I'm back in Kentucky after being in Poland for two months, and um, October here is really beautiful. I was able to hear a lot of amazing stories from Ukrainians and Polish and international uh, pastors and workers that are responding to the crisis in Ukraine. And so I think one day it'll be exciting to hear all the ways that God has used this terrible situation for the church to shine. And I think it's important, even though it's not in our news as much anymore, for us to continue to pray for those that are impacted uh, by the war in Ukraine and the coming winter. That is a big concern for people. And so we could just keep praying for them. It would be great. And I'm so glad to be back with you guys. Good to have you back, Tina, and we will be in prayer for all, for all the important things that need to happen there and the work you're doing there, along with so many others. We have a, a great guest with us today, uh, very intrigued by a Christian who's going to be joining with us today and having a conversation. Um, he's, he's creative and has just some great ideas that he's implemented for the kingdom. Christian Ray Flores is our guest. Christian has an international background being From both Chilean and Russian descent, he has lived in Russia, Chile, Germany, and Mozambique. He speaks four languages, uh, but he'll stick to English in this uh, podcast today. And he has a master's degree in economics. He had a successful music career back in the 90s in Russia. And he's founded a third drive in Austin, Texas, where he serves there with the Austin Christian Church, a part of the ICO stream of our uh, movement. Christian has worked in vocational ministry around the globe in Moscow, Kiev, Los Angeles, Miami. And as I mentioned, he is now in Austin, Texas, a place where I resided myself for about nine years and did ministry. So we've got that in common. He's got a passion for filmmaking. He loves living in Austin. He's co-founded the Ascend Mission Fund in, a diff- in addition to Third Drive. And he's a contributor to Renew.org. So you'll find some of his uh, writings and work there. Christian's married to Deb Flores, and they have three daughters. Christian, welcome to Common Ground Unity, to our podcast. And tell us a little bit about yourself, your spiritual journey, 
uh, some of these entrepreneurial endeavors that, that you put together for the kingdom and just a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Kevin. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. It, well, well, should I start? I think it's just more of a confusing story because I've sort of traveled a lot. And um, But if I were to sort of zero in on the spiritual journey, I think what it was in essence was uh, just a, a young man brought up by two communists. You know, I was an atheist communist. I had no moral sort of framework, uh, no spiritual framework. Uh, I was already interested in spiritual things, but it was really along the line of new age teaching and Eastern philosophy, uh, sort of in college, typically when you get into things like that. And then basically what happened is by the time I graduated from college with a degree in economics, I worked in international trade a bit. I didn't like it. I was very musical and creative since I was really, really young. So I sort of gave it a try in show business. And at the time in Russia, um, it was this, um, it was a very magical time because it was probably the only decade of freedom that Russia had in its whole history. S sort of between early 91 until maybe 2001. That's roughly, that's what it was. So I sort of caught the, the early, the, er the beginning of it. And when I launched my music career, uh, I was popular fairly quickly. Um, in about a year, I was on national television. And when you rise to fame so meteorically and you sort of, you know, I was touring all over essentially the former Soviet Union, which is a, a, several countries, including Ukraine, right? Um, and I was on TV, on radio. I I was everywhere, basically. My, I had a number one hit by the time. Um, I had several hits before, but when I became a Christian, when I, uh, I, was, I just re had released a song that would become a number one hit, and eventually used by Boris Yeltsin in his presidential campaign um, against the Communist Party. Mm. Um, and basically what happens is when you succeed at that, at that level, um, a lot of the character uh, cracks come to the surface. A lot of the trauma comes to the surface. Um, and I just became massively successful and massively miserable all at the same time, mm. essentially, fairly quickly. And uh, I I was just lucky enough to be invited to an International Church of Christ meeting. Um, by the time the by that time the church has had exploded, it was planted in ninety uh, one. I came in ninety five, so it was it started with seventeen Christians that spread all over the former Soviet republics. I think it was at the time the collective membership was around ten thousand, something like that. So it was, a, it was a thriving, dynamic group of people, and uh, I just came in all sort of messed up uh, on so many levels, and I was just so, so fortunate to meet uh, the, the guy who actually planted the whole thing. His name is Andy Fleming. He's Canadian. Mm. And, We've um, had Andy on the, on the podcast. I think so. I think I heard that, yes. Yes. And uh, so Andy... Um, He's just a very special man. He's a deeply spiritual guy, and he's you know third generation Christian, maybe even more. I'm not sure, but for me, you know, I was a I was a pagan essentially, right? So I was meeting someone who was profoundly godly and wise, and uh, he had what I didn't have. And what I ha what happened is, um, I came to church and like really begrudgingly, some some friend of mine dragged me in, and I was like, all right, all right, I'll, I'll go and. I was, so, I was so sort of 
lonely and desperate that I, I would just go to anything that maybe would alleviate my suffering a little bit. And I sat in the back row with like shades on, like, you know, like nobody would notice. Of course, people noticed right away. And uh, <laughs> it was just pathetic. And, and, and I didn't like most of it. Uh, I liked the sermon because it was, it was preached boldly and there was this ring of truth in it. Uh, and I was critical of everything else, right? A bunch of losers, whatever. The singing was horrible. It was like campus ministry, right? So, and as a professional singer, I'm like, oh, who 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 led them on stage, right? So it was, I had this critical <laughs> spirit about me. It was very arrogant, but the the truth still rang from scripture. And I so and I met Andy. Had he had no idea who I was because he didn't follow show show business, uh, which was actually refreshing for me, right? Because when everybody, most people know who you are, it's very hard to build relationships because you sort of know if, if somebody, you don't know if somebody is trying to build a relationship with a persona or you. Um, mm -hmm. So it was very refreshing to see somebody who doesn't know or care who I am. And uh, the second time we met, I met with Andy, he brought me over to, to his house. And it was just this, I think we were sitting in his kitchen or something like that. And his wife, Tammy, was there. And Britton was there, his, his daughter, um, his younger son, who wasn't born yet. And uh, I just saw this, I had this deep, profound realization um, about this family, about this marriage. And my my biggest trauma was my parents' divorce. And sort of, I, would, I just failed relationally over and over and over again. I would, um, and I looked at him and I said, how do I get what you have? This is my sec the second time I'm seeing this guy, okay? Mm -hmm. And I go, how do I get what you have? And I sort of motioned to the family. And he goes, I'll teach you. And I said, okay. And that was it, basically. You know, <laughs> that was, the, that was the, the, I just somehow felt this guy knows the answers through scripture. Mm -hmm. and, and I had no, nothing, I knew nothing about the Bible. And I just w several weeks later, I was baptized, repented of all my sin, and um, was born again. What a great story. Yeah. Mm. It's so interesting to me how impactful, like, a, an authentic believer who, I mean, I don't know Andy, but sounds exceptional in his ability to, to see people well. And so um, I think that's something that that we should all learn from. Sure. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So you're the co-founder of Third Drive. And tell us a little bit about that organization and how does it intersect and or serve the church? I founded Third Drive. It was basically originally a just a video marketing company because that's this is what I did. And at the time I was I was a planting uh, a church here in Austin, Texas called Tribe. Um, so I, and it was, I was bivocational at the time. So the Austin Christian Church, which is the local church that supported us with their team, they couldn't pay me really. They, they gave me a little bit of a stipend or something like that. So I had to come up with something to support myself while I plant the church. And I had a previous business before that wasn't working in Austin. So I basically started a new one called uh, Third Drive. And it eventually evolved to from a video marketing company just for businesses to a marketing company that does everything from branding, websites, video messaging, sort of storytelling through digital media, uh, all the way to uh, a venture development company when I added um, a, a dear, dear friend of mine, Brandon Nicely, who's a, who's a 
amazing startup founder, tech guy. And so we started the branch of the company that was basically about venture development, raising capital for startups, uh, helping them get their thing going, right? Um, so that's those are the two arms, is venture development and marketing. And then to answer your question, the way we help churches is eventually we actually rolled out a one a marketing service that is just for churches. So churches are, um, re- interestingly enough, they are in the business of storytelling, right? The good news is a story. Uh, we're in the business of telling people the story about Jesus, and churches are remarkably terrible at marketing. Um, uh, just terrible at marketing. So um, it was sort of a pain point. I saw that, in, and eventually I sort of rolled out just a service for churches because I w- wanted to help them sort of streamline the process of helping them see the amazing community they may have. It's, it's almost always a loving, wonderful community that you have to tell the world about, and they just don't know how to do that, basically. So that's the way we serve the churches is in nonprofits as well, right? So we support a bunch of churches. We've done marketing and branding and messaging for Christian colleges. We, we support one currently in Canada called uh, um, Maritime Christian College. I think it's a, it's a Christian church. It's also a, a, a restoration movement uh, college. So that's how we, that's how we serve uh, churches through Third Drive, to answer your question. Christian, I'm sure you've encountered this and heard it. You know, you'll run across church leaders and maybe church members who have kind of a negative view of church marketing and maybe using the term marketing the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, if so, if you've encountered that or thought, thought about that from that side, how, how do you counter that? Give us Give us a different perspective that leads you to see marketing when it comes to the church is, is an important endeavor. Oh yeah. I think it really, I mean, I think it is, it's common to, to see sort of have that response to the word marketing, almost like a dirty word in, in, and I think the perception is that, that it's some, somehow the mastery of, te- of telling, of communicating takes away from the power of the message itself, which I think it's a, it's a flawed, um, interpretation of what marketing is. Um, so it's almost feel, I think it's, it's really more of a feeling than anything else, right? It's, it's almost in, an aversion towards gimmicks, which we should have aversions towards gimmicks. Uh, and yet marketing is not about gimmicks. Marketing in its purest form is communicating value. That's what marketing is, right? So if, if I have something of value and I want to tell the world about the value that I can add and serve them with um, the process of communicating that that is marketing essentially. So in that sense, evangelism is marketing by definition. Not only is it only falls onto marketing, it's the marketing because it's the message. It's the story. It is the highest value uh, you can possibly add to somebody's life is to change their life for eternity. So in my book, we're all in the business of marketing for Christians. It's interesting. Um, part of the work that I did when I was in Poland was I went and visited with networks of churches, but also uh, businesses and local government, just to try to see like a full picture of kind of what things look like. And I would ask at every meeting 
outside of the church, like how have you seen the church help in the community during this time? Almost 95% of the time, the local government would say, not at all. And then I, I had already been talking with churches and I'd say, okay, well, this church group, they were doing these things. Did you see a positive thing from that? Oh yeah, that was really positive. Okay, so that was connected to a local church. But the church itself like was not pr- promoting. <laughs> wasn't communicating, the, yeah. yeah. Wasn't telling the, the stories. Precisely. Yeah, they weren't part of that thing. And so even after, then I would go back to the churches and say, you guys are doing great, but the community leaders don't know it. And that's where you should spend some time. And then they're like, but we're not here to serve the government. I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's just like, but in my mind, I'm like, if they had a positive view of the way that you are living yes. out the gospel among them, Absolutely. then that is what you all have prayed for for so long is to be seen in your communities. And now you can be, but you have this like um, wall up of not wanting to seem like you're trying to promote yourself or, yeah. you know, yeah. and so what would you say to those churches? This is not on one of our questions, but I'm just curious, how would you frame a response to a church that's doing good work, but nobody in the community knows about it? Well, I would say in the words of Jesus, uh, you don't hide your light, right? <laughs> in the words of a, of, of a, of a kid's program song, you know, <laughs> this little light of mine, I will let it shine. That's it. That is the very essence of marketing is if you're doing something, tell the story so more people know and more people can benefit. Is that simple. Uh, and yet there's this profound aversion to, and I think the, the aversion has to do with, uh, quite frankly, if I may say this, um, religious pride. It's, it's, this, it's this arrogant look at, we don't need this, we don't need that. Yes, you do. You know, you, you need an electrician to fix your, your lighting. Uh, you need a marketer to tell your story. Um, and as a matter of fact, even if you know a lot about marketing as a church leader or as a church staff member, a lot of times you still need a marketer because you're too close to it to discern the essence of it and the simplicity of it and to, to, have it, to communicate to outsiders, right? Uh, this actually, this is a phenomenon that happens even in the startup world. Uh, we do a lot of work with startup founders who are brilliant, absolutely brilliant people. A lot of them are engineers, software engineers, uh, inventors, people that want to change the world. And it's such a joy to work with them. And, he, and here's what happens. If you're very close to the thing that you're doing, you're probably not the best person to tell the story about that thing because you're too close to it. So you don't know how other people perceive it. And you therefore, you over-communicate the minutiae and under-communicate the essence, the thing that mm-hmm. actually attracts people. So you're not really, you might be an expert in in what you're teaching um, once people are in, but you're terrible at giving a first impression. And marketing is about the first impression. It's about if somebody comes to your website, you have six seconds to get their attention. Most church websites look like they were designed in the 90s. Most church websites uh, don't address the value of the church. They just address the information that members may need, you know, the schedule, 
what we believe maybe you know um but they're not attractive they're not a first impression tool they're for insiders and the very very essence of of our the great commission is for us to shine to outsiders so look at a website of any given church and if imagine yourself being an outsider close the window in 6 seconds and tell me what kind of value do you see in that church and most of the time you won't see you won't know you know well the interesting thing would be to have a a friend that's a non-believer look at a site like that with you precisely yes and and hear that kind of feedback yeah. you know some churches have been effective uh, at, at marketing, at brand development, at recognition across lots of platforms, and Mars Hill's one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, I know it wasn't because of their marketing that it became toxic or unhealthy, but how do you look at, um, or what are the safeguards for that what you're promoting being something that the essence is true or the essence is healthy. Like, is there a way that like in hindsight, maybe even looking at how Mars Hill did like build their brand and all those things where, where someone could have seen the cracks that came out later through the way that they did that marketing. I think so. I mean, the, I, I'm I'm very aware of Marseille. I followed their their rise and sort of witnessed their fall from afar. But I was, you know, I've listened to quite a few messages by Mark Driscoll, um, and I would say that you judge him, you judge a tree by the fruit, in the words of Jesus, not by how that fruit is delivered, right? I mean, the fruit is delivered. The, the fruit is delivered. But if like. You know, it it takes some pickers, a truck, and somebody to put it in a store. That's mark. That's marketing. But if if the fruit is rotten, you know, you don't buy the fruit. That is really the essence of it. But I, could, I mean, I could tell coming from some experiences of fairly you know authoritarian leadership models in in churches. I mean, all you have to do is listen to a podcast early on. If you have the antenna, the ears to to hear and the eyes to see, you will see a bent for example, towards um, some pretty black and white, um, you know, personality-driven leadership, all of that stuff, without really having to even be there physically. Like, I could see that. So that's also another way of um, the way that marketing can help us discern the fruit or the the thing, but we have to be listening to the message and just not yeah. absorbing yeah. the. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, look at, look at Russian propaganda right now, right? Um, they're masterful in evil, <laughs> in delivering evil uh, misinformation and lies. And there are people who believe and people who see through it immediately, right? Um, so it's not really the mas- the mastery of the deliverer that is the evil thing, you know. So uh, does that make sense? And obviously, you know, if you're a marketer and you work for Russian propaganda, uh, you should probably reevaluate your professional um, coordinates. Let's put it that way. But they've definitely got some skills. They're using. Oh, oh they do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they do. So 
So it's not it's not the marketing per se. It's uh, do, do you have health, and is what you're offering genuine and authentic and healthy and good? I, you know, I tend to look at it a little bit like uh, you know Paul's statement in First Corinthians nine. You know, he he became all things to all men that by all possible means we might win some. And you know, in in our culture, we first learn about things because they're marketed to us. And it's Precisely. buyer beware. It's up to us to kind of look behind the marketing and see, you know, is this is this a good, healthy product that's going to do me good? Is it something I need? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so churches are wise to boil the essence of the message down and in a very um, market driven culture to use the, uh, the the cultural ways to kind of get a get a launching point. Mm-hmm. So that that makes good sense, Christian. Appreciate that uh, that conversation. And you, and you can see. Thank you for thank you for for those comments. Uh, you know, you actually inspired me to go to First Corinthians um, two, um, where where Paul is addressing the church, and he basically says, "When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or or or, uh, or human wisdom, as I proclaimed the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified." I came to you in weakness and great fear and trembling. My message was, and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, meaning, you know, trickery uh, or uh, sleek marketing, but with demonstration of spirit's power. That's what he says, right? Um, It's the fruit that matters. Um, And yet, having said that, you can, one of my favorite marketing uh, scriptures, which there are many, by the way, if you, if you eyes, have the eyes to see, is um, the, Apostle Paul, the, the Apostle Paul's um, speech at the Areopagus, uh, or Mars Hill, uh, you know, um, which was a, a brilliant way of strategic com- communication, of cultural sensitivity and relevance. Right, uh, you can dissect that speech, uh, in, and it's a it's a masterclass in marketing. That's what it is. Um, and if you don't take that as proof, you only I, I I have a sense that Paul was elected to be the apostle to the Gentiles because he was already gifted with this ability to communicate a certain way to the Gentiles, right? Um, and uh, if you look at the at his speech, and you see. He addresses them with the with the greeting of a, of a, of a wandering philosopher, man man of Athens. He quotes two of their poets from memory. He validates their pain points and their desire and the and their um, their seeking of, of spiritual truths. And then he challenges it and redirects it towards Jesus. And there's a call to action at the end. That is marketing. And if you if you look at that most church websites or communications don't have those essential elements uh, in their communication. And you can say, okay, well, we don't need that. And my point is, you don't need that, but you want to reach as many as possible, in the words of Paul, using all means possible, also in the words of Paul. What are those all means? You know, what are the means? And the means are, you're culturally relevant, you know your people, you know who you're talking to, you know your audience, you go to where people are. All of those things are actions. They're not passive stances, right? Um, and I would say marketing addresses all of those things. And it's that's why we, you know, I re- I'm really passionate about helping churches with that. And we have everything from do-it-yourself courses that we basically, people can just take the course and learn certain things, or we can do things for churches. And we basically 
walk church leadership teams about the essence of who they are, where they want to go, the impression they want to do, the target audience, the people they want to address. And then we help them shape it, or even in the middle where we can train their leaders to become masterful uh, at those things and know how to communicate. And, and actually, it's not even about just communicating to outsiders. It's also about communicating to insiders. Um, Christian, are you surprised or maybe I'm surprised, but you know this so much better, but is it surprising to you how little churches understand about how the world sees us? It It is surprising, yes. You know, it is, I would say yes and no. I'm not surprised because I've been a church leader for 23 years, right? Um, but I am surprised because I am also in the marketplace and I'm in touch with with that side of things and how things like that work. And I go, there's a, there's a significant gap there. Um, and, um, and I think churches, and we're not, I feel like we're not as, as a, as a, as churches, we're not imitating. It's not, it's not that we're not imitating the world. We're not imitating the apostles. You know, it's, it's, it's baffling to me. The apostles traveled in danger they used the internet of the time which is the roman roads they would go to city centers where there's where the ability to amplify a signal will be maximized they would not only go there but they would go to the places where people converged and formed their opinions like the synagogues or the marketplace or mars hill the areopagus that was the heart of the apostles the 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 vector of their of their movement at even risking their lives was to spread the gospel to as many as possible and what we have, I think, in, in many traditional churches, is we say, we have the treasure of the, of the gospel. You come to us. You come to our temple, our building. And if you don't come to our building, it's your problem, not ours. I just don't think that's the heart of the New Testament uh, Christians. That's, that's it, basically. I um, love that. Thanks, Christian. That's perfect. I love that Acts 17 reference. You know, Paul gave him just enough. Mm-hmm. And and even touched on the resurrection, gives them just enough to where some get angry, but then some want to hear him Precisely. again on the subject. And that's a little bit what good marketing does. I think it it creates a thirst for more. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. It, and it's oh. a first impression. It's an invitation. Yeah. It, it, the marketing is not meant to to play the role of a conversion sort of process, right? Which it happens walking with people, repenting, walking with God. Um, but it is, hey, this is good stuff. Are you interested? Let me tell you more. Yeah. I think some people, when you talk about it, think, oh, you're talking about marketing instead of living the gospel and being Mm -hmm. a gospel witness in the community. Those two things aren't mutually exclusive. Not at all. And they work together. Uh, Christian, let's talk a little bit about some generational stuff. Um, You know, dominant generations seem to have trouble uh, with generational transitions, including, you know, church leadership from one generation to the next. Why, why do you suspect that transition is is difficult? And do you have any insights on how church leaders can navigate that space a little bit better? Um, I think part of it has to do with, um, I think part of it has to do with institutionalized Christianity, 
right? And, and, and obviously, there's a good side to institutionalizing something, but there's a downside to it as well, right? If, if, it, if a church becomes too complex, too rich, too, there's too much at stake, then there's stuff to defend and to protect and to sort of, you know, um, control, for lack of a better word. And I'm not saying this is the culture of every church or things like that, but what I mean, the temptation becomes present um, of this is this is too important for me to let go, right? Um, and um, maybe, maybe I'm a little too vague or fuzzy in the way I'm explaining it. So this is a bit of a stream of conscience for me. Conscience. Um, I one of the things that I wanted to do when we planted Tribe and Austin Christian is to plant a church that is very. Um, it's. It's a community, a tribe. That's what we call the tribe. That it's a small community where communication and trust and generational wisdom flows freely without any layers or hierarchical sort of structures that are necessary whenever you build something that is large, right? And I've led churches of three thousand people, um, so I've I've been I've done I've done the mega church thing, right? Um, and there's an upside to that. Obviously, there's my gosh, the quality, the buildings, the the services, the the layers of 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 ministry that can be added, the, even the financial power to do good, all of those things are amazing in a large church. The downside is that those sort of mega structures are usually not very flexible, not very innovative. Uh, people stay longer than they should, in, um, and there's they're just too much at stake, right? So in Tribe, for example, I'm there... And I'm bivocational, so I have a business, I've you know several businesses, and I'm part time working for the church. I receive compensation from the church part time, um, but I'm not there to build a career or protect a career. I'm just there because this is my spiritual home, and God has me in this role temporarily. So it's not my rank; it's really my role, right? Um, and so if I have a, that kind of thing, there's not, not much to defend, and the interest is not to sort of protect what I've built, quote-unquote, but really to benefit the community of believers because it's also my community of believers, right? So, you know, my interest is to to train the next generation, to give the voice, uh, more of a voice to as many people as possible in the community, and for this to be a village kind of dynamic, right? Um, and I think in that environment, it's so much easier to transition to the next generation and to listen because there's just no layers between me and people and other people. Um, and also there's just not much to defend um, because I just, I just love this community and I want to build the future of it because once I sort of hand it over to somebody, I'm going to stay here and I don't, I want to be led by someone who is in, in, in harmony with the, with the very essence of how we, how we operate um, as, as a community, right? Does that make sense? Maybe I'm a little confusing mm-hmm. here, uh, but I'm just sort of sharing my heart here. Um, may, maybe not very concise, I guess. Making good sense to me. Okay. Yeah. I, you talked a little bit in, in some of the other answers to questions about um, the transformative church marketing course. Tell a little bit more about what that looks like, how people can get more information. Um, how, how can people connect with that as a resource? So if you go to uh, thirddrivemedia.com and then 
use the slash and then um, put faith in there. You'll basically see at the very top sort of the services that we provide, the type of quality we do, uh, the, of, of work we do, helping churches communicate, tell the stories. And at the very bottom, I believe there's a link to the to a course. Because basically the idea was, look, I mean, this some of the stuff that that is done for you, it's relatively inexpensive for business, but relatively expensive for churches. So what if a church is, you know, just don't, don't have the budget? Well, let's just create a digital uh, a course that they can take so it's much more affordable. Um, so that's sort of the idea behind the irresistible marketing um, or transformative marketing um, for churches. And in it, I, I, a, lot, a lot of time, maybe half of it is this is how you look at a website and this is how you create a wonderful website. And by the way, we provide even a template for uh, for church websites that are premium templates, beautiful templates. Um, but the first half is really the why, right? It's some of the stuff that I even shared with you from scripture, that the apostles were master marketers. That's who they were. Um, that we're all in the business of marketing and sort of giving, sort of helping people get into the mindset of actually falling in love with the mastering communication because eternity is at stake, right? And if, if, not, if that's not a motivator enough for, for us, I don't know what is. So the first half is really more about the whys and about the mentality, the mindset, and some of the core essence uh, pieces of, uh, of mastering communication, not even for outsiders, but just for insiders as well. How do you, how do you structure a sermon? Things like that. Um, and then the second half has to do with websites and logo and video and all of sort of the, not, I wouldn't say the technical thing, but really more the, the pieces of the puzzle that need to fall into place and how to discern how to go about those things and how to make it happen for your church. Before we kind of move away and, and bring this conversation to an end, uh, we're going to bring you back, by the way, we want to spend another podcast with you and talk about your work with Tribe and, and this church that we talked about a few moments ago. You've got another uh, ministry that you helped co-found that is called Ascend Mission Fund. Uh, just tell us a little bit about Ascend Mission Fund, what it is and what you're about. Well, I think that the core idea, the the I mean, the why behind it is that I wanted to, I wanted to, Serving to remember the poor, right? In, in the words of, of the, that that huge encounter that the Gentile churches had with the Jerusalem church, where they were like, "Are we on the same page? Are we in the same movement?" And they're like, "Yeah, we are." But we we ask you to remember the poor, and the Gentiles intended to do that all along. But it's such a quintessential thing to remember the poor for Christians. And I I uh, have a before and after. The thing is, I grew up in one of the poorest countries in the world, in Mozambique, and I never cared for the poor until I became a Christian, until I met some people that were working for an organization called Hope Worldwide. I was a volunteer there as well and one of the organizers of some big events. And it just got into my heart so deeply that I decided that I will never not do that as a central thing to my journey. So, well, the problem is, as an entrepreneur, uh, you, you, you sort of are bent towards teaching people how to fish and not giving, just giving them fish, right? And a lot of the charity efforts that are out there are basically very necessary, very important, but helping people get some fish, right? Uh, giving them some fish, right? So feeding the hungry, healing the, the, the sick. 
but as an entrepreneur, you sort of had this bend, this desire, this pull towards teaching them how to fish. So, so that could be a frustrating gap, right? So it's, so instead of just supporting a charity that's, that gives people fish, I wanted to start a charity that teaches people how to fish. That's essentially the, the, the backstory to the Ascent Mission Fund. And part of it was not just the poor, um, and it started with, it started with Mozambique, um, a place where I grew up, and it's one of the poorest countries in the world. And basically what we have there is a, an after-school academy uh, where we have just a, a few kids, and they, they go to a school with 1,000 1,300, I think, 1,300 students, 30 teachers, and zero computers, uh, dirt floors, terrible bathrooms. I mean, they they just don't have access to the modern world. And the academy, they come in and they receive three things. They, they receive discipleship, character studies from members of the church that are explicitly biblical, character-building teachings, uh, because that's the character that God wants to instill in us, the heart, the mentality, the worldview. It's two... Uh, they receive computer literacy classes, and then eventually we plan to make them give them enough skills to be professionals. So we have a bunch of computers there, and three la- English language, which is the a way for them to communicate to the world. And the idea is to teach them how to fish. Right? The idea is that they will, they can come from poverty, receive some Christian teaching, some character teaching, hopefully choose to follow Jesus along the way, but also receive the ability to add value in the marketplace. And sort of my aspiration is that by the time they hit, they're out of high school, they are already out of market, uh, out of uh, poverty, rather. They're already uh, are making their own money online as designers or coders or something like that. So that's the backstory of, the, of that project. It's called the Ascend Academy in Mozambique. And, uh, but sort of the overarching story was, let's, can we innovate? In church planting, for example, can we have more churches be planted by bivocational people or even not even bivocational, but people that are complete volunteers, right? Because we want uh, we want the gospel to spread faster and the model where you, you know, several churches pull their resources and it, it's a lot of money and they have to train somebody and that, that person may or may not do well. And then they send the mission team, and it's just expensive and eighty percent failure on average. I believe that's those are the stats. Um, why don't we try faster and fail faster, but spread faster as well, right? So that's that's sort of down the road when when we grow up and we're able to have the funds to 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 fund some of those efforts and those experiments. And uh, and we work in even with the part, my partnership with Renew is I learned so much from them uh, from the you know from the restoration movement guys I mean I love them so much uh, about all kinds of things including culture and church planting um, and then the Ukraine effort was just essentially just a response to a crisis that I wasn't even planning on but because I've lived in Kiev Ukraine my youngest daughter was was born in Ukraine we were able to sort of spring to action because we already had the Ascend Mission Fund and we. Um, in a very sort of innovative, not innovative, but sort of startup mentality. On day two, I started doing something. By day six, I had money flowing and we had many donations to fleeing Christians um, and who were being stuck everywhere in villages and in cars on like in in a traffic jam with two million cars running out of food, medicine, gas, clothing, that kind of thing. We were dropping mini donations to their e-wallets within by the first by the end of the first week of the war and we've helped hundreds of um of of uh, refugees that way and now we're sort of on phase two where we're 
trying to build a network of of you know of charities grassroots charities and then tell their stories to the world and hopefully be able to get funding for them so that's the, that's the story Christian. your website has some really great uh stories so you're you're talking at the beginning about the power of story and then if you look at ascend's website there is um some really powerful stories of transformation of uh just the expression of of your christianity of giving of generosity i'm definitely for helping the poor and think that our churches need a lot more literacy in what that looks like and um, so thanks for being a champion for that. You're very welcome. And by the way, can I put a plug in? If you're a church and you want to help us, please contact me because we need as many partners as possible for this. It's the, the, the task is enormous, is overwhelming, in, in, in the suffering as well in Ukraine. So give us the contact places. Third Drive, what is the website for Third Drive if people want to look, learn more? Uh, if, if you go to thirddrivemedia.com, that's the marketing website, um, thirddrivemedia.com slash faith is for churches. Ascendmission.fund is the, um, is the Ascend Mission Fund one. If you want to go directly to Ukraine, it's ukraineleliefnetwork.org. So well, those, those are some of the, some of the URLs. Thank you, Christian. Uh, inspiring and love your innovation. We're going to bring you back for our next podcast. We're going to have to bring this one to a close. So look forward to you rejoining us next time. I want to say to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another conversation on the Common Ground Unity podcast. Join us again next time. And Christian Ray Flores will be back with us once again for some more conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Common Ground Unity podcast. Please check out commongroundunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax-deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless, and remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.